Today's scripture reading is from Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate your, your, with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's, God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Crystal. Hey, we're finishing up this series that has been called The Gospel And. Just asking, okay, what does it mean to take the gospel, and how does that impact all the areas of our lives. We finish up today at a place where I think we need to because it, it challenges us to sort of look at all of our relationships, fundamentally at our relationships, the way they work. Why do you think they're so difficult? I mean, I don't, but you, I don't know about you, but around me, there, there always seems to be a relationship on the verge of blowing up or a challenge of something, uh, someone to forgive, or, or a place where healing is needed, or a, a relationship where we're just like, oh man, this is just not working. Friendships maybe that are drifting away, right? We see this happening all around us. What's going on? One of the stories that uh, struck me, actually the only one as I read about it, uh, from this year's Academy Awards, tracks with this guy. His name is Charlie McKeezy, and he was a nominee for one of this year's awards. And what's interesting about his story for me, and what caught my attention is, everybody goes to the awards, they walk the red carpet, and they're like, ah, my name's gonna be called, I'm gonna go up front, gonna get this you know, award in front of everybody. Do you know what Charlie was doing? He was terrified he would be chosen. And so as the awards are being given out, he is actually in the bathroom hiding in one of the stalls. He actually sends to a, a group of friends of his this napkin, hello, I'm hiding in the loo again at the Oscars. And you're like, all the other people, they're ready to get the award. He's like, I hope I don't get it. Please don't call my name. Uh, by the way, he was there because of a movie, a 30-minute animated movie called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Um, its title is from a book with that name. You can see it right there. 
And uh, during COVID, he spent over 3,000 hours in Zoom calls. He worked with 130 other artists so that every single cell of that 30-minute video was actually done by hand. No computer graphics, none of that. It was all by human artists. And so imagine he's hunkered down. Finally, he goes out, and it's this time when the names are called. This is what he said. I didn't think I could even go on stage. I was quite daunted by it. Sometimes I don't even like to look at the statue. I just got it at home wrapped in a T-shirt. It hasn't sunk in, and I don't think it ever will. And so here's this guy. By the way, you know, he did get the award. It's all wrapped up in a T-shirt. He doesn't show it to anybody. What is going on? Why are relationships so difficult? We are so sensitive as human beings. God made us this way because he made us for love. We feel so insecure. We easily are afraid. We're so easily hurt and injured. We carry around the wounds of our stories and our lives. And by the way, that's the the story of this whole book that he wrote. It's about how needy our hearts are, how fragile we are, how we can stop hiding. Here's one page from the book I'll show you. What is the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Can you see it? Help. This is our human heart. This is why this stuff is so difficult. It's why all of us are carrying around injuries from our story. It's why he's hiding (laughs) the Oscar. And so this week we look at that. What is... What is the way forward through the gospel? And what we see is, well, how does Jesus provide us resources for the relationship that God calls us to? Would would you pray together with me? Lord, it's so true. We would think, oh, I wouldn't be hiding. But Lord, every one of us are hiding. We're even afraid to reveal the truth of our hearts to the people right next to us. Lord, sometimes maybe even with our spouses, our parents, those people closest to us. And it's because we know the wounds of life, Lord. We know how we've been hurt by other people. And and Lord, we've hurt others too. And so I pray that in the gospel, in Jesus, you will lead us to, uh, to a way of living that enables us to enjoy the relationships you've provided to us. Lord, um, thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. The Apostle Peter puts it simple like this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, love is the way. And as I read that, I think, have there been a people who could see anymore how much we need this? Maybe I see, you see this because of the loneliness epidemic. I don't know if you know, but in studies of community and friendships and relationships in the United States that started about 150 years ago, there's been this constant decline. We've never been in a place where our communities, our relationships are actually thinner than they are now. And by the way, I don't know if you know, but loneliness creates more complications for us physiologically than having cancer or heart disease. It's a greater predictor of early health than either of those diseases that we can have. That's how God made us for community. But it's not just that. It's like civility, right? I mean, the basic stuff of like, like human kindness. 
And so we like to talk about connecting, but we're not actually connecting. It's our, our relationships are so difficult, so challenging. And by the way, it's gotten to the place where it's sort of in vogue to see other people as objects in our universe, right? The constellation of people who are around us, rather than seeing other human beings with dignity and, and treating other people with respect. And it's actually gotten hard. Researchers say that it's gotten hard for us to imagine that other people actually have lives of their own that are different than our own. Maybe you heard the story about the man, he's standing on the edge of a river, right? And, and this woman is on the other side of the river and she yells out, how do I get to, to the other side of the river? And the man simply yells back, you are on the other side of the river. And you're like, what? He can't begin to imagine the place where she might be. And this is what we've gotten to as human beings as we even look at one another. How is this going to work? And so, by the way, today we build decks in the back. We don't sit out on front porches and walk sidewalks, right? We, uh, we mediate our relationships with technology. We look at glowing screens rather than sitting at tables in circles of fellowship, enjoying each other. And this is the way the current of life has changed in the last few decades. And as I mentioned, they're slowly disappearing friendships. Today in America, most men will tell you they don't really have a friend, another man who's a friend who really knows what's happening in their lives. And by the way, the opposite of what is of this is what happened to the first believers. We see this robust community of friendship and engagement happening with human beings. This is how it's reported to us in the New Testament. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is the kind of relationships we need, right? Face-to-face -face friendships around meals and working side-by-side -side and serving. God made us for community and for life together. But it has me asking, well, what makes this possible? How can this happen actually among us? And that's what I want to look at with you today, how the gospel opens up the way, how it seeps into our relationships and what it looks like, how this can happen to, to you and also to me, these gospel-infused relationships. Now, as we open up this part of the book of Romans from our scripture text, there's a lot that is before this. Uh, Crystal read for us from chapter 12. And in there, Paul has laid out the foundation for understanding the gospel. And let me tell you, he has not skipped the painful part. He's told the, the hard part right up front. He is not naive about us as human beings. He says, look, everybody has sinned. He says at one point like this, there is no one righteous. Basically, they saying there's not a good person, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Now, did you love that? He doesn't minimize the fix that we're in as human beings. He doesn't say, hey, we're really good, and, you know, we'll figure it out. We will know. You know, I think that's the thing. I was reading this week in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Anthony Scalia, he was alive. He visited Dachau, and then he visited Auschwitz. And the thing he said that ter terrified him of going to these concentration camps is that it happened among the best educated people on our planet. The best scientists in the world were in Germany. 
They're great scholars of the world. You see, we think if we knew a little bit more, we could pull off this kind of life. If, if we just educated people better, we wouldn't have the struggles that we're having now. And what Paul says, let me tell you where we are, where we begin. We begin in this human need. He, he doesn't say, by the way, you just got to try harder. He said, look, we have to be redeemed. We need to be rescued from the futile way that we live. He doesn't tell us that we can do it. One, he doesn't tell us that we can change our story. He says, you need God to change your story for you. And as I read that, I think, isn't that clear to us by now? I mean, haven't we experimented with this enough as human beings that we're like, we just, we don't know the way of peace. We do not know how to get along with each other. We don't have the resources. And, and Paul goes on to say, let me tell you how in Jesus this actually happens because of what Jesus has done. And you say, well, what, is, what then happens because of Jesus? Well, he puts it very simply in these first four words in our text. He says, love must be sincere. He said, now, if we could stop right there, we would understand and really understood it and internalized it, then the rest of this chapter wouldn't even be needed because everything after this is is an explanation of that, right? What does sincere love look like? Here it is, honoring, forgiving, making room for strangers, and so on. You see, this chapter is not like given a to-do list of you got to do this, do this, do this. It is a description of this person who has been led into this sincere love by Jesus. That's what it is. Now, by the way, that word sincere literally means not play-acting not being a hypocrite. It means actually doing it. Not this idea of love in your head, but the way it's actually lived out. I call it love illustrated, love in action. And this is the root to everything that God does in and through us. It's the root of it all. I mean, I was uh, a few years ago, I read a wonderful book that told the story of 2016, the coach of the FSU Seminoles took the students, and they would often take the athletes out to schools to meet the students. Because those high school and middle school students, they're like their heroes, right? They follow the Seminoles. And they went to a little middle school um, there in Tallahassee called Montfort. And uh, Travis Rudolph, a wide receiver for the Seminoles, he spotted a student at one of the tables who was sitting by himself. He was eating all alone. And he approached that boy and he simply said to him, can, can I have lunch with you? And the boy said it was fine and motioned to him to sit down. That boy's name is Bo Paskey. And what he didn't know is that boy sat alone. I mean, he always sat alone because he's autistic. And all of the students long before had gra gravitated away from him. But here's a player, one of the heroes, right, sitting and taking an interest in him. And somebody took a picture of this, who saw it happen because it was so amazing, and then sent it over to Bo's mom, right? Here he is sitting with him. And you can imagine his mother. This is what she says. I, I'm not sure what exactly made this incredibly kind man share a lunch table with my son, but I'm happy to say it will not soon be forgotten. This is the day I didn't have to worry if my sweet boy ate lunch alone. Hospitality, right? Loving the stranger. You see, 
love must be real. It's sincere. It's not play acting. And this is what Paul is doing here. He says, let's talk about this sincere love. Now, by the way, in the New Testament and Old Testament, they're like key words that cue us in to this love that says, here it comes. The first in the, Old, in the New Testament is this word agape. And it literally means something totally unconditional. That means it's not based on anything you hope to receive from that person. It's not based on any other motive than just for that person. In the Old Testament, it's the word chesed. You'll see it here, I think. There it is, chesed. You'll see it in Hebrew below. And by the way, in 1535, the first guy to ever translate the Bible into English, his name was Miles Coverdale. You'll see him here. He came to this word, studying Hebrew and translating the Bible. He said, well, there's no word in English for this. I can't translate it. So he made up a word. And the reason is because it's a combination of love and loyalty and kindness and faithfulness. So he put together those two words, loving kindness, to be able to express this. Here is love expressed in the simple everyday actions of graciousness. One pastor I know says, we need to just give that word love a rest. I mean, we've used it so much. It's, it's an idea it no longer means much to us. What if we were to break it down into relational realities? I mean, the things we actually do. That's what Paul is doing in this text. Because we can't love the world in concept, right? And it's too big for us anyway. But you can sit down and have lunch with that person who's left alone. And by the way, this is why I believe Paul breaks it down for us. Here is the love of God, which we can see and understand this sincere love. And by the way, you can see it popping up. Like a few years ago, I encountered a Daniel Goleman's book. It's entitled Social Intelligence. In there, he tells the story of a woman named Nancy Abernathy, who was teaching in a medical school up in Vermont. And one year, she was teaching students. Her husband was out cross-country skiing. He was the age of 50. He had a heart attack, and he died. He was found later in the snow. This was devastating. It was all she could do to get herself through that semester of teaching. And before the semester ended, she confided to her students she wasn't looking forward to teaching in the fall because in the fall, in one of the courses, she asked all the students to sort of bring in pictures of their family members and their family tree so that they can talk about the family realities, right? That's a part of what they learn in their medical curriculum. And she said, oh, I, when that day comes, I don't know how I'm going to tell these students what happened to my husband and where I've been, you know, what's been happening to me. And so this, that semester was over, the summer came, and it passed. This dreaded day finally came in the fall semester. She walks into her class, and there's not even enough room for everybody. There's like double the students there. She's like, what's going on? And she realizes that her students from the previous year had remembered what she said, and they found the day in which they were going to be bringing their pictures. And because they knew she was going to have a hard time getting through that day, they all showed up. And they showed up with their pictures too. And you begin to realize, oh, love that. That's that stuff. It's not this idea. It's this thing we do, right? And here's what Nancy Abernathy said. She said, this is compassion, a simple human connection between the one who suffers and the one who would heal. 
Here's love, right? Writ large, but in all of these small things. So Paul breaks this down for us. What does it look like? Here's the portrait. He says, be devoted to one another. That means be present. Show up. Stand beside that person when you know they're not to be alone. Honor one another above yourself. By the way, honor is freely giving esteem and respect to others. Share with God's people in need. Sharing is when you realize, what I have isn't just for me. It's for other people too, and I'm going to enter in to share with them. Hospitality literally is love for the stranger, the outsider, the person that doesn't have a seat at the table. It means even for those strangers. And we're in a city where we can do this, right? I mean, this is a place where so many people show up looking for connection. Blessing, that means seeking God's favor for others and desiring their good. And then there's this entering in, rejoice and mourn with those who do. In other words, be present. Are you willing to allow your heart to be affected by what's affected them? That's what Jesus I mean, that's what Paul is talking about here. Then there's harmony. Live in harmony. Seek to resolve conflicts and don't allow disputes to fester. And then there's a series of do nots. It says, do not be proud. Be careful not to think you're better than others. As you look at other people, what is the assumption you make about them? Be careful not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't be conceited. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful not to expand evil by by retaliating. Remember God's mercy. One of the great stories from college football this year happened to um, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, took the Colorado Buffaloes, right, in this amazing begin to a run. And maybe you've heard about this one athlete. His name is Travis Hunter. They were playing a game, right, and they were playing against one of their rivals, Colorado State Rams. And in one play, Travis Hunter was going down the sidelines, and he took a bad hit from a Rams defensive back, Henry Blackburn. You'll see the hit. They highlighted it in the media if you miss it, right? It put him in the hospital. He had a lacerated liver, and they told him he's not going to play for the rest of the season. And he was one of the standout players, right, for the Buffaloes, and it changed the trajectory of their team. And by the way, people were furious. Of course, he was penalized there. And guess what happens? He's in the hospital. People come to him and say, what do you think about that, that bad hit that's put you out for the season? And all Travis could say was this. Well, he did what he's supposed to do. This, what do you think football is? We get hit. But fans were so angry that they actually threatened Blackburn's life. It went out on social media. We're going to find where you, we li- where you live. We're going to come there and find you. And when Travis heard about this, you know what he did? He invited Blackburn to go bowling with him. <laughs> so they show up at the bowling alley, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and they bowl a few frames together. And then guess what? They're, they're sitting outside and they're talking to each other. Look at these guys. Look at Travis. Do you see what's happening here? Paul said it like this, do not be overcome by evil. Be careful that evil doesn't take captive your heart. You see, that's sincere love. Thinking about what this other athlete is going through as his life is threatened and saying, how can I stand with him in the middle of this? Travis Hunter was living out the command that God gave his people. God said it like this, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly 
with your God. Isn't that beautiful? It says to love kindness, but it's really to love chesed, to love loving kindness. We're to love this stuff. Okay, we're beginning to get this life into focus. And everything here illustrates that love requires that we actually see people. Right? You have to notice people. How, how is this love going to happen? And by the way, this is what we see about Jesus. He, he sees the people nobody else seems to see. People who have been forgotten and overlooked because they're handicapped or they're on the outside. People so burned out they no longer matter. That's what they think. And by the way, there are even times when the disciples are sending people away. Well, Jesus won't allow that. He doesn't allow anybody to be sent away. These people are little in our eyes and unimportant. We cannot see them, but Jesus sees everyone. The woman caught in adultery, the lepers pushed from community, the tax collectors who really are hated by everybody, and bigots who are so full of themselves, they don't have any regard for Jesus. But again, they're no little people to Jesus. They're only people he loved, each made in the image of God and worthy of respect and dignity of kindness. Everybody matters to him. I know we like the idea of love. I remember reading Dostoevsky, the Russian author. This is what he said about it. He said, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Yeah, we dream about this stuff all the time, but going out and living it? Really not caring a grudge for the person who hurt you, but, really, but loving them and blessing them? By the way, I love this frame from McKeezy's book. I hope you can see it. What do you want to be when you grow up? Kind, said the boy. And it makes me wonder if I've grown up. It makes me wonder how many of us have grown up. What we think it means to be mature. And so what I say is, well, how in the world am I going to get there? How can loving kindness become illustrated in my life? How am I going to see people that I've never noticed, that I've never really cared about? How is that ever going to happen? How am I going to love people when my natural response is to think about myself and to protect myself at all costs? How am I going to forgive people and show mercy and kindness to people, to the very people who have hurt me? Remember, Paul only gets here through the gospel. He's not saying, by your own will, you've got to try hard. You can pull this off. He was out trying to murder Christians when Jesus confronted him. Jesus changed his heart. He couldn't change his own heart. You see, what he speaks about here comes only in and through Jesus, only as our lives are reoriented by the grace that we receive. By the way, that's why this whole series has the title, The Gospel and our wills are not strong enough to enable us to love those who have hurt us, to forgive those who have done what we think are unforgivable things to us, to resist taking revenge, to hate, not to hate back, to take care of, and not just take care of other people, not just my own. You see, none of us have the power to do this. We're told very simply elsewhere in Scripture like this, beloved let us love one another, for love is from God. And listen to this part. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We love because he first loved us. You see, there has to be an immense internal change in us. We're not going to be able to love 
It is an experience, not just knowing about this, it's an experience yourself of the loving kindness of Jesus, actually being loved by God. He first loves us, didn't we love? Read a story from 2004. There was a couple who were in Sri Lanka on vacation. And it was December 26, 2004. They got up that morning and they had had a scheduled day to go on a scuba dive offshore. But they were fighting so much, they were deciding to, set, you know, to end their vacation before it was, was finished. And that day, they were, he was just at the end of himself. You'll see Emmanuel Carrera, he's the person who tells of this incident. They were ready to split up as a couple. Here's Emmanuel, what he said. He said, it was too bad for the umpteenth time I spoke of my inability to love. All the more remarkable in, the, in that Helene, that's his girlfriend, is truly, truly worthy of love. You know, it was providential they didn't go scuba diving that day. That was that day after Christmas in 2004 that the immense tsunami hit the shore of Sri Lanka. Actually, there was a French family that they had gotten to know before that day, a, a young mother and her husband and their four-year-old girl. And that four-year-old girl had been out on the beach with her grandfather and she was swept away and he would have died too, but he grabbed and held onto a palm tree. There was another couple that they met who they were on their honeymoon and they were standing out at the shore when that wave came up and the man was stripped away from his wife. She, he was just swept, swept away. And these were people that they had met. And right away, they are plunged into this grief that was overwhelming. In the midst of this, however, something amazing happened. Emmanuel saw his girlfriend, Helene, jump into action. She was loving those people they had met whose lives were totally devastated. Though he felt he didn't know what love meant, he saw it illustrated in her as she huddled with this couple that were now missing their little girl. And she searched the hospital with this woman, trying to find out if her husband had turned up. By the way, ultimately he did, thankfully. She entered into their tears and she shared their pain and she was there to support them every step of the way. He just observed this. He had never seen anything like this. And it was there when it's like his, his, his eyes were open. He was a person just freely with nothing to gain in the middle of an immense trauma, giving herself away. And it's his first time he saw her for who she was. And this is what he said. This is so powerful. He said, if I need to succeed at one thing before I die, it's this. Can I, is it possible to learn this way of love? And I think that's the reality for us. We're invited into a trauma where it's not until we see, by the way, they're the two of them together, Helene and Emmanuel. It's not until we see the trauma of the cross. We're like, oh my goodness, our, our definitions, our perceptions of love are, are radicalized. Here is Jesus laying down his life for us. You see, Romans 12 is telling us about Jesus. Jesus does not take revenge. Jesus honors everybody above himself. Jesus is all always welcoming strangers. Jesus refuses retribution. Jesus has genuine, sincere love. He, he rejoices with those who rejoice. He, he totally enters in with people. 
And this life and love is only found in him. And we don't do this because we muster up our will. We buckle down and pull it off. By the way, you know the people are mocking Jesus and they're from the cross in the middle of that pain. He's not thinking about himself. He cries out to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it is this love as we experience it in our lives, as we know it in reality for us, that empowers us to love. This is the gospel. None of us can accomplish this. I'm not putting this on you as something you must accomplish. You discover Jesus has rescued you, and a transformation begins to take place. He has taken you unable to love, and he's raised you up to newness of life. This happens when, as one person explained it, the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing from God, he actually gives me everything because this is who he is. Now, let's not get this wrong. My will, your will is not strong enough to do this, but we can learn to receive. We receive and rest in the love of God for us. We can come to experience it in such a way that we are ourselves brought from death to life. Listen to John again. He says, we can know we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers, because something so great has happened to us. Our world has been changed, and we're like, that's it. I've been loved. Of course, here we remember it's only in resting in the love of Jesus. So we've got to the end of this, sec, this, this study about marriage and parenting and finances and all of those things. And I would say, yeah, you can do it. Go. You can't. But God in his grace is at work in you. And when you learn how you've been loved by him, I think you'll be like Emmanuel. You're like, if I don't do anything else the rest of my life, I want to do this. I want to get this. I think it leads us to the place where I, I need Jesus. I have got to have Jesus at work in my life, or this is not going to happen for me. Would you pray with me? Father, we can't change our own hearts. We can't fix ourselves. It's the whole message of the gospel, while Jesus, why Jesus had to come on a rescue mission. Because our hearts can be so stony, so cold, Lord, that we find it unable to love. And it's only when Jesus walks among us, we see his hands inside, we see his feet, and we see that he has nothing but love for us, even those who stood around saying, crucify him. And we realize that we're loved by you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be at this table today where we are reminded that Jesus has loved us and given himself for us, where you call us to come so that we don't forget how we've been loved by you and who we are as your children because of that. And so I pray even as we prepare to take of this meal, you'll help us to rest in Jesus, to know that our hope is found in Jesus. Father, thank you for loving us. We know we'll spend a lifetime understanding all that that means. And Lord, we'll spend a long time learning to rest in the gifts that you've given, the forgiveness, the freedom, the hope, the future, the joy, all that comes with it as your children. Enable us by your grace today 
to enjoy this gift. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.